Listening to Living Writers, I'm T. Hetzel, and today I'm so pleased to have Deborah Eisenberg um, joining us um, by phone uh, from New York City. Deborah, welcome. Thank you, T. It's uh, great to talk to you. Oh, it's great to it's great to talk with you and to hear your voice again. Because you're well, you're a friend of the show. You've you've been here before, sitting in the studio, and we've we've had a chat. Um, so thanks for agreeing to do it again, Deborah. Oh, it's pleasure. <laughs> um, and the occasion is the, the, the publication uh, with Picador of the collected stories, your collected stories, the collected stories of Deborah Eisenberg. Uh, that's true. <laughs> just, and it's just out this month, isn't it, Deborah? Is yes, it, it is. Off the yeah, book? Brand, brand new. Brand new. and um, Brand new old. <laughs> Exactly, brand brand new old, and what a what a hefty collection it is. Are you like are 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 you starting to do you carry two around like one on each side to keep the balance or balance? Uh, uh, <laughs> well, I hadn't thought of that. Maybe I should carry them on my head. <laughs> good uh, posture. Very good for the posture. Uh, yes, they are big. They are big. It's it's impressive. I guess no no surprise though because it's the collected. Of of your your short story collections that have come come before, it surprised me. <laughs> is it is it weird to see it all all in one tome? Because it literally is like this is, um, it, it's it's very impressive. It's very very beautiful thin paper with a ragged edge. Um, yes, very sort of silky paper, so it all somehow fits. Uh, but yes, it is. It is strange. I, I was uh, startled. <laughs> startled, and well, well, Deborah, what what sort of um, what things do you have on deck for the release of the book? Are there um, are you going to be uh, making visits and uh, with the collection to different places or, or some spots in New York City? I I saw I heard uh, your your conversation. Um, with Leonard Lopate on Macmillan's site. Yes, that was fun. Uh, I've known him f- since my first book came out, and oh. uh, it's always just, you know, wonderful to talk to him. Um, but no, uh, not too much. 
Well, well, when if if things come up, just let us know, and I'll make announcements. So That's we great. Can get the word That's great. out. But it's really, I mean, this is it. It must. Um, I, I just can't, as you can tell, I'm sort of tongue-tied. I can't seem to get over the heft of it. Um, and not only that, but the, the, the way, like what it's comprised, like what comprises this are these intense, um, weighty uh, and beautiful uh, and funny stories. Um, they, they are very dense. I mean, you wouldn't want to uh, put the book into um, a barrel of water. I mean, it would expand, I think. Even, yes, even more so. Well, Deborah, um, well, let's see. Well, I'm just going to give a very, a, the most minute bio of all time, and then we're going to fill in some pieces here Great. together to start us off for this. Um, Deborah Eisenberg grew up in suburban Chicago, Illinois, and moved to New York City in the late 1960s. She teaches at the University of Virginia, um, and you're you're currently and you've you've run won the the Ria Award for the short story, um, sort of keeping keeping the short story in a in a prominent place in in the American literary landscape. Um, and then you you also you you write pieces for the New York Review of Books, the New Yorker, the Yale Review. Uh, no, the New Yorker I haven't appeared in for many, many years. Oh, uh, their oversight. Um, <laughs> well, um, uh, it depends, I guess, on who's doing the seeing. Yes. Um, uh, yes, and it's been, oh, it's been pure joy to do some pieces for the New York Review recently. And, and you know, I think since the last time we spoke, you, you've also, um, you're a MacArthur Fellow. You were awarded the fellowship. I am. I was absolutely uh, flabbergasted, but uh, it's true. <laughs> well, what, did it change your life, Deborah? Because are you, are you the same woman I was speaking to a couple of years ago? Completely different. <laughs> no, um, I'm exactly the same as far as I can tell, uh, but, uh, you know, it is just, uh, it is a wonderful thing. Does um, does Wally sort of uh, sometimes do a slight bow and and refer to you as genius, or is it? Um... That's that's the uh, cost of the award that people do. Uh, uh, you know, it's uh, people get quite a lot of fun out of that. Right. But um, no, it's just, uh, and I expected him to bow before. <laughs> The bowing, not a new thing not since 2009. Thing. No, no. <laughs> and while I'm thinking of it, I wanted to tell you that Lewis says hello too, um, to you. Oh, great. Um, so, well, hello back. Yes. <laughs> and and thanks to Patrick O'Keefe for actually um, sending the Johnny Cash music that we'll be hearing during during the breaks. Um, Deborah was didn't mind us playing the the latest Johnny Cash. Oh, thrilled. <laughs> it kind of goes with the closeness of the day, doesn't it, Deborah? Somehow. Yeah, it's amazing that the weather is similar so far away. Yes, and oh, I wish we could bring you right here. Um, but Deborah, here here's like a, a kind of a, a strange question because when you were speaking with um, Leonard Lopate, you mentioned because he he was mentioning this the short story, what it was like seeing Chris, um, and and you you said that that was the second story that you ever wrote, and I wondered what what was the the first story, and is it in the collected stories? It is. 
It is. The first story I ever wrote is the story called Days, and it's the only uh, autobiographical story that I have ever written. And I uh, didn't think I was writing fiction, really, when I was working on it. Um, uh, and it... it uh, it, it it seems very sort of elementary to me now, but I have a sort of familial feeling for it, and because it was because it was my first story, it was um, it, you know it was an astonishing thing for me that I could actually produce a story. So uh, I have a certain. Uh, a, a, a certain sort of affection for it. Oh, I can believe that. And and was it, um, did it just naturally when you were starting to sketch it out, um, did it come out in those small pieces? Because it's like um, the 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 shape of it, the structure on the surface is is like the like a journal or a diary. The first two weeks and about stopping smoking and and starting at the why. Um, yeah. No, I thought I was. Uh, the first year I worked on that story, or the first year and a half, it took me three years to write that very simple story, my first. Um, three years? Uh, yeah. I mean, it just took me forever. And I thought that I was, when I began it, for about the first year, I thought that I was writing a factual piece about the the why. Um, uh I I had stopped smoking and I was really non-functional at all, and the only thing I could do was to sort of drag myself out of bed, maybe one afternoon a week or every couple of weeks, and and schlep myself about seven blocks to the Y, where I would do the most kind of elementary activities, and I sort of fell in love with the Y, the McBurney YMCA, uh, and um, which was nothing like the fancy gyms that began to succeed it some years later. Um, and I, so I thought that I was writing a sort of tribute to the Y, and I did it in the form of journal entries. And that formed the basis for the story, which is, you know, reasonably amusing, I suppose, although the, the actual life experience was not in any way amusing. <laughs> That's so often the case, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> And and that actually surfaces, it seems like, in, in, in your other stories. That's a good good way to to talk about some of the humor because although this is you know as you said this is like the the, the auto, most autobiographical of, of the other stories the humor somehow um, often works the same where it it's funny um, without it being in, intentional um, but just because it is and it's true or, yeah well I think that humor often is uh, just a matter of the distance from which you're seeing something. And, of course, in fiction, you can see something from two different distances at once. You can 
see it from the very, very close, painful distance, and at exactly the same time, you can see it from uh, the sort of strange, existential, long, long view. And and Deborah, the. Uh, it makes me think about because when you're saying like the long view and, and when you're you're saying that it took three years with this one story was part of that. Is that like a, a, a rhythm for you with writing and spending time in these like immersing yourselves in these worlds? Um, is that an, a normal rhythm or was it because it was the first the first story? Well, I, uh, I had no no intention, really, of writing a story at that time. I was just trying to write right. anything. I mean, I was thrilled if I could get an actual sentence onto the piece of paper. Um, and I, as I sort of had a mandate with that particular piece, I mean, I more or less knew what I was doing, or rather what I was doing it about, or I thought I did. Um, which was to write this sort of homage to the why. Uh, that part of writing was kind of taken care of for me. Usually, I'm very, very slow at the best of times. I think the fastest I've ever written anything um, was over a period of about five months. Uh, very, that was very, very fast for me. But Normally, it's taken me about a year, about a year a story. And, uh, and do you stay in that world, Deborah, of the of this of that one story? Is, well, is that how, or, or do they sometimes overlap? And there's pieces that are coming to you at different times. I, you know, I don't. I wouldn't even begin to know how how to describe the way it works for me. Uh, you know, when you mentioned sketching out the first story, I didn't sketch it out. Uh, I don't sketch anything out. Um, I don't work from plans, and I don't work from ideas. And the shape has to be uh, more or less... The shape has to more or less present itself, and the whole thing has to more or less present itself. It's, it's as though I'm trying to see something uh, through uh, a mist or um, uh, get something in focus uh, uh, in in darkness um, uh, or see something underwater or remember something. It's not, uh, you know, it doesn't sort of work in pieces and it doesn't work by outlines. It's not, it really, for me, it's not exactly like making something up. It's finding it. it. It's yeah. refinding it. Yeah. And, and so does it seem then from from the first moment that it feels whole to you in some way there's something that's through the mist that feels like they're whole to you well it it almost doesn't feel like anything to me because i can't you know i know that there's something there but i don't have the faintest idea what it is so i don't 
you know, I don't know whether I'm seeing, you know, whether it's bits of unrelated things that are going to reveal themselves or I, I just don't know anything. How do you get close to it then, do you think? Is it, is it, because what, is it like sentence by sentence It in very, um, like, because I, I know that you're saying it's misty, but it almost feels like there's this, this strange, it's, it's very loose and misty, but then there's this very strong intention of yes. it going towards or? Yeah, it's all about finding the intention, all about finding the integrity of the thing. Um, you know, and it really is by the time, by the time you're finished, or this is how it works for me. Anyhow, it, you know, it's the vision. It's a vision. You know, you've seen the whole thing. Uh, how I get there, you know, it's strange. I never can really remember <laughs> what it was like to work on something. Sometimes I can remember where I was or, uh, you know, what what I could see out the window or what I couldn't see out the window, or that sort of thing. Uh but I really, and every once in a while, I can remember a day on which things started to uh, started to take form for a certain story. I usually have to work for a very long time, sort of trawling before I come up with anything that seems meaningful or seems to apply, there's an immense amount of wasted paper involved. <laughs> oh, well, I, 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 I love where you're, what you're saying about this and how it's, how do you, how do you retell the making of how it starts to come to you, right? And, and I also love how we can hear some of the sirens in the background <laughs> when, you're, when you're answering, Deborah, um, going by on the streets there. Um, we're going to take a, a short break, and, and then we'll be, we'll be right back for, for more conversation today with Deborah Eisenberg. Um, we'll be right back. It's a long and a dusty road, a hard and a heavy load, and the folks that I meet ain't always kind. Some are bad, some are good, some have done the best they could, and some have tried to ease my troubled mind. And I can't help but wonder where I'm bound, where I'm bound. Can't help but wonder where I'm bound. I've been wandering through this land, just doing the best I can. Trying to find what I was meant to do. And the people that I see look as worried as can be. And it looks like they are wandering too. And I can't help but wonder where I'm bound, where I'm bound. Can't help but wonder where I'm bound. Well, I had a little girl 
Welcome back. You've got Living Writers. I'm T. Hetzel. Today on the program, I'm so happy to be talking with Deborah Eisenberg. Um, Deborah, thanks for joining us from from New York City. Oh, thank you. And now, are you in Brooklyn? Is no, I'm in Manhattan. Oh. Dear old Manhattan. Oh, <laughs> that's lovely. Then. I used to live in Brooklyn. And have years, you, years and years ago, when I first came to New York, was so that's where you first landed, really. Then, yeah, yeah. Okay, and then was it um, a long time in Brooklyn, and then a moving to Manhattan, or was it, or, or have you lived in you all around in, in New York City? I've lived sort of all, all around, uh, but mostly in Chelsea. I've been in Chelsea now for decades. Ah, uh, so, so home. That idea of home, yeah, I you know, which reminds me of I, well, I wanted to ask Deborah, are you, would you? Is there a, a a piece of one of the short stories that later in the program you'd like to read? Because we we could do that too if you'd like, uh, or if you'd rather I'll talk. I'd be happy to read anything that you would like me to read, but I don't think I could pick anything out. Do you? That's what I was going to ask too, because I feel like I've I heard that you you don't. It's not like you're really reading. Do you ever revisit? these stories? Yes, I do. Um, but they're, you know, they're incredibly long. Yes. <laughs> and they're very, very, very complicated. So um, if I'm reading at a university, I sometimes can read a whole story. But uh, just for a regular reading, you know, 20 minutes or half an hour, uh, I have to give so much explanation that, you know, that in itself takes up loads of time. Right, right. And and because with your short story, when it's not as if you're always working um, with that beginning, middle, end arc. It's it, We can start at any point and move around. Yeah, sure. Yes. Um, so that's part of the... Um, I love that because that's um, because that's how the mind is working as well. Uh, how our minds work. So so your stories are are mimicking the recollections and the and the well, I don't know, and the wonderings maybe. Yeah, I mean, in a mental experience of pretty much any moment, there's a lot of different. Uh, uh, experiences compressed into it. I mean, uh, things going going out in this direction and stretching out into the future, anxieties and fantasies, and uh, then out into the past, uh, all kinds of uh, memories and and experience that provides the foundation for that exact moment and then um you know the sort of sideways potential so um you know it's a wonderful capacity of fiction that you can uh move with tremendous flexibility through time and and other selves Yes. And other selves, yes, <laughs> or uh, other potential selves, yeah. Um, because there's this moment um, in the, and you'll have you'll have to help me with the name of this, uh, Talak's Paradise. It's, oh, that that's certainly close enough. That's about okay. as close as I can get. I think Talak, maybe. Ta yeah. Talak. Okay. Talak's Ta Paradise. Then, um, when I was uh, rereading this one this morning, Deborah, I'm, I. 
I love that how on within the space of two pages or like facing pages rather, um, there's there's the, the introduction of loss and dislocation and this this kind of this idea of like what could be eternal. And I thought that is a lot to be happening in this intense moment between two characters like a a young a, like a youngish man uh mark an american and uh who's who's visiting a woman who's an expat jean and whose husband has gone back to the states for some health tests um uh but but then when they're having this this conversation uh it it seems like it it ranges from yeah talking about the death of um the young man's father um and uh yes i don't know it's <laughs> that's that's intense so that's why you mean it takes the complexity of the story i think um that's what you were mentioning earlier deborah yeah yeah that's ex exactly um a perfect example that uh you know when people don't just have a conversation on a blank slate each of them is bringing quite a lot to that conversation, even if it's the most neutral conversation, even, you know, if they're talking about uh, the weather, there's a tremendous amount going on in the mind of uh, uh, the participants. And so how, and so, so when you're aware of that, um, Deborah, how is it that you decide then through all those moments, like because you're imagining what it's like to be in in their minds and to have their each of their rich experiences um, and fears and hopes and like how how is it then that you're you're deciding to pick from those to actually present in those like sideways occurrences that that you said well. Yeah, I mean, that's sort of interesting. I, I'd never really thought about that, but that, in a way, that's what uh, uh, is going on, I suppose, in a piece of fiction, that it each encounter, or one of the things that goes on, uh, each encounter elicits uh, certain things that are in you know, the the well of uh, the other person or the protagonist or wh whoever's mind you're exploring, um, it's certain things about the encounter or the immediate experience uh, uh, or what have you that does the selection. Was there anything that you felt like from one of the characters that you came to that you didn't didn't want to come to? You mean, did I ever sort of think, oh, I wish I didn't know that? Or yes, yeah. But I, and I guess, and again, we're talking about these, like the spanning so much time of the writing. Um, so <laughs> I know this is uh, well. Yeah, I mean, a lot of uh, my uh, characters are going through uh, very, very difficult things. That uh, uh, you know, it would be. More fun for me, I suppose, if they were only always having fun. Um, <laughs> but it's hard know. to imagine uh, one of. I'd like to see you write that short story, Deborah. 
that would be a challenge. That's quite a challenge. Just fun, fun, fun for pages and pages. Um, uh, perhaps it could be done. I don't know. Um, <laughs> what about the tension? The tension of having fun then? Yes, the... yes, it does. It it presents all kinds of aesthetic challenges. Um, but yeah, I would say I. I mean, when you mentioned that, I immediately uh, a specific story springs to mind that um, a story called The Robbery, which I really yes. found absolute agony to write from start to finish. I didn't want to spend time with the characters. I didn't want to um, explore their dilemmas. I didn't want to explore their relationships. I really didn't want to have anything to do with it, but there I was, you know, and I just... Uh, why were you compelled? Can you remember why it felt necessary? I don't... Well, you know, I never know why anything particularly feels necessary, but you can't... Unless unless something dies on you, you're pretty much stuck with it. You, you don't... <laughs> I, at least I've never been able to say, well, I I don't feel like doing this one, so I'll just put it away and go on to something else. Because then you pick up the next sheet of paper, and what appears on it? The same people, the same problems. The, you know, you can't get rid of something. So you really couldn't abandon these, these couples and their children, even if you'd wanted to, from no, the robbery? No, no. No, you know, finally I finished with it, and then and then it was over. But um, no, it, you know, you can close the cover of the night notebook, and then it just pops open again. There's nothing you can do about it. And and what was it about the the people in the the robbery? Was it that um, that that they're because I I found it yeah it very disturbing as well to be yeah. because you. You um, like who's the person that's carrying the redemption of some sort in the story? Even I don't know. Even the children don't seem innocent. No, there's nothing good about the situation at all. I mean, on the surface, it's a perfectly nice uh, group of upper middle class suburban couples um, who are supposed to be friends, like life, like life friends. Yeah, they're supposed to be having fun and they're supposed to be leading a pleasant life and there's nothing that's you know uh, dramatically you know no no uh physical violence uh no car crashes you know none of that stuff just the horrors of betrayal Yes, plenty of horrors of betrayal and horrors of, you know, racial inequities and, uh, you know, so on and so forth. Lots of, lots of emotional and uh, social violence, but it's all very, very, very suppressed. Let's take a short break, Deborah, and then we'll come back and, and talk about talk more about this. Great. Um, okay, you're listening to Living Writers. Today on the program, Deborah Eisenberg. We'll be back. Don't look so sad 
I know it's over But life goes on And this old world Will keep on turning Let's just be glad We had some time To spend together There's no need to watch the bridges that we're burning. Lay your head up on my pillow. Hold your warm and tender body close to mine. Of the raindrops blowing soft against the window and make believe you love me one more time for the good time. Get along You'll find another And I'll be here If you should find You ever need me Don't say a word About tomorrow Or forever There'll be time enough for sadness when you leave me. Lay your head. Welcome back. You've got Living Writers. I'm T. Hetzel. We've got Brian Delaney in the engineering chair. And we're so lucky to have Deborah Eisenberg joining us today from, from Manhattan. <laughs> Deborah, thanks for, thanks for being on the program today. Oh, thank you. <laughs> um, well, we took a short break at, at a very, um, a, a very um, imp- <laughs> kind of important moment um, because it's, it's interesting um, that with these stories that, of, and what's r- r- like in some ways, like a, it's weird to say, but required of the reader to be in them and what re- rewards uh, the reader for being in them is, is their intensity and that it's, um, it's, 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 it's wound up in this, like this, the human uh, psychological experience. Um, and, cause, and, and you kind of allude to that, Deborah, when you say, like, there's, there's no car crashes, there's no, um, like, strange uh, plot devices um, at work. Often it's, it's, a, it's, it's a, a conversation, people um, in conversation in, in, in some moment that might otherwise seem very regular. Right, yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Uh well it's that old um you know the uh uh the theater or play uh word subtext. I mean the stories I think um I was I was once told by a translator that my work was extremely difficult to translate, and this was a translator who translated uh, 
poetry. She translated uh, Harold Brodke. I said, how can you how can you say that? Why would my work be difficult to translate if you can translate poetry and you can translate Harold Brodke? Surely. Uh, Surely what I do is much simpler to translate. And she said, no, no, it isn't, because uh, if you don't understand what's going on between the lines, you can't translate the lines. And I thought that was a phenomenal description of translation, of what the job is. Yes. Uh, gorgeous. I mean, obviously there are other things entailed, too. Um, but... It's true that I think I ask really quite a bit of the readers. It's um, uh, the stories are very demanding, and you really have to pay attention to what the interaction actually is, and you have to be sort of willing as a reader to put in what's required to, uh, I mean, you have to participate. I mean, of course, that's true of, of uh, uh, all serious fiction, but... Um, have, have you also written poems, Deborah? Is I couldn't a write a poem if my life depended on it. <laughs> See, and that's, I'm having a deja vu, because I feel like I asked you that, but for some reason I feel like in some ways that's how these stories are working, though. Um, uh it, Yes, I think uh, the the people who were first to like what I wrote were poets, not fiction writers. But I I wish I could write a poem. I really do. But honestly, I just I I, I just don't even know what a poem is. <laughs> it's funny to to think like when so um, when you're so a, a part of some. Uh, well, with the writing, it's like, I, I feel like, would you be even able to say what a short story is? Like in a real, like, I guess we have the ways of talking about it that we do at, at university or, or in a workshop context. I would not be able to. And um, I remember uh, once going to a sort of conference uh, about the short story, which was sort of an occasion for people who liked each other and liked each other's work to get together. And uh, uh, Tobias Wolf gave a kind of keynote address. This is going back years. Uh, but I remember that he, he said this fantastic thing. Um, uh, you know, everybody was sort of sitting around scratching their heads, sort of, saying, so what is a short story? Um, and he, he characterized uh, a story as something that can't be paraphrased, uh, a piece of fiction that can't be paraphrased, which I thought was fantastic. And it, it can't be paraphrased. Cannot be paraphrased, yeah. Um, and I guess that that's, uh, you know, you'd say the same of a poem. And I remember once um, uh, being in Nicaragua and meeting, um, you know, every it, it was during uh, the early Sandinista days, which were very exciting, and everybody was a writer, you know, and literacy was just 
absolutely the most, uh, uh, that was the most important thing to everybody was uh, spreading literacy and raising the rate of literacy, which they did virtually to 100% for a while. And uh, so everybody was a writer. And um, I remember meeting a young man who said to me, uh, you know, in greeting, he said, what do you write? I mean, just the assumption was that everybody wrote. And I coming from the States, said in, you know, some consternation, oh, I just write short stories. And he said, just, just. He said, the short story is the poetry of the novel. Yes. <laughs> so I always think that, isn't that gorgeous? And it's true. Yeah. And it's true. And I think that's why you were saying about this translator, like, why is it, you know, with, it's, you know, it would be impossible to translate these poems. And But I think that's why, because your your fiction is like that with so much taking you in so many directions, um, and so at, at different moments, that makes it difficult for the translator. And, and, and that idea of, um, because I th you're, it seems like, and I, now I'm paraphrasing you, which I know is like the wrong thing to do, um, but it, it's like every moment um, for each person is, are, are all, all moments of their life. Like each moment, there's something that's like every moment for someone's life. Well, I'm glad you paraphrased me because you did a much better job with paraphrasing than I did with the original phrasing. So, that's, thank you. That's not true. But I loved how you you say that in a way that that's like that's that's how you come. I think to the writing, it's like a micro manifesto. I think is what you you called it. Oh yes. Uh huh. Uh huh. And um, well, well. Anyway, I just I, like well. This so so now to go on from the the story, Deborah, that you mentioned. Then um, the the anecdote um, that many of your characters then are expats, um, and and it leads to these occasions for people like dislocation, very literally. Um, but but most of them have chosen to be where they are, or they're they're visiting and. Um, because I think was it Nicaragua, like the the one short story where someone is actually there's a writer that's doing a review of restaurants. Oh, that's uh, actually Guatemala. Oh, that's Guatemala. I mean, it's unnamed, I think. Uh, and but that, that's Holy uh, Week. That was Guatemala. Isn't it? That was in the whole Holy Week. Was yes, exactly, exactly. And and so, what is it about like using? Because it's not just because because you and 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 Wally had traveled outside the country probably like what is it about using expats um to, to as the as the characters for the story uh i think probably you'll find more travelers than expats in my stories but um there certainly are plenty of expats too and um uh you know i've never been particularly uh, I've never thought, oh, I'm going to write stories about people traveling. And <laughs> as you suggest, I'm certainly not writing travel stories. Uh, but uh, I think the shock of of uh, realizing that you don't comprehend uh, what's going on around you is very useful to me, and that is, you know, that's sort of the central experience of the traveler. Yes, 
And and it's also it seems like an occasion somehow. Um, so the traveler is is shocked, but can see by talking about the politics of that place. Then it also brings into light the politics of home. Which Absolutely. Would, yeah. So could could you say to? I've more about that, Deborah, in a way, like with, because because it does, because people say like this is a, a way, like contemporary American experience in some way, and I think this is one of those ways where we can look at our own home politics by looking at maybe the the, the extreme poverty that's that's there during Holy Week. Well, I think that uh, it, it certainly came as a very unpleasant shock to me in my adulthood uh, to realize what my position as uh, a citizen of the United States was in the world. Uh, The uh, disproportionate power of an individual who votes in this country and who pays taxes in this country. Um, And I uh, don't, I had not been aware of how disproportionate that power was, or how lightly I took it, or how badly I misunderstood uh, the relationship of each U.S. citizen to each uh, resident uh, in other parts of the world um, until I was well into my adulthood. And uh, it came as an extremely unpleasant shock uh, to discover that, uh, for example, a six-year-old Salvadoran had a better idea of who I was in a lot of ways than I did. Mm. Um, And uh, so that I I became very, very interested in the way that we, by which I mean both citizens of the United States and everybody, um, keep ourselves ignorant of information that's close to hand, that we could have very well, how we manage to not see things that are in front of our own eyes. I became very, very, very interested in that mental organization, uh, mental operation, and um, how we organize our minds to uh, not comprehend information. Yes, and 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 a way like thinking about it um, in relation to the story, the Holy Week, um, like with this writer being on a trip to write restaurant reviews in a place that's um, that that the poverty and the the risk, like the the person who is tidying up the the couple's room is risking basically life to cross fields to get to work, um, or or, for example, in in uh, Talak's Paradise, when um, one of the, the the young American character Mark mentions um, the the women in red, and and Jean is almost startled to think that he sees them coming up the road for her um, b- 
because they 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 wear red and they're in the plaza usually and and they're they're widows they're stand like what i don't know there's just so much <laughs> once i start talking about it it's like this unfolding that's impossible to 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 stop <laughs> yes there's a lot of unfolding um, yeah and in the uh story that you first mentioned uh in that regard the uh, uh holy week of course the person who's gone down to write the restaurant reviews is actually implicated in the uh uh so-called civil war of the country and uh in a way the whole process of the story is his uh, what he goes through to not comprehend that, not realize it, and of course the young woman he's with does begin to comprehend it. Yes, yes. Deborah, we're going to take a short break and then we'll be right back um, to hear a bit more. You're listening to Living Writers on WCBN FM Ann Arbor. Today, Deborah Eisenberg will be back. I have been a rover I have walked alone Hiked a hundred highways Never found a home Still and all I'm happy The reason is, you see Once in a while Along the way, love's been good to me. There was a girl in Denver. Welcome back. You've got Living Writers on WCBN-FM Ann Arbor. I'm T. Hetzel, and today on the program, Deborah Eisenberg. Deborah, thanks again so much for, for being on the, to the show today. Oh, thank you, and thanks for playing that Johnny Cash. It's so, it's so great to listen to. <laughs> Isn't it? I, I know. I felt a little badly that as Johnny was launching into, like, the story of the girl in Denver, you know, he did. Right. <laughs> well, well, we'll hear a little bit more of Johnny as we go out, too. So he'll have another. He'll, he'll technically have the last word, Deborah. Great. <laughs> um, but but speaking of last words, really, um, I, I wanted to just have a, a quick word about the dialogue that's that's um, that's basically like if there's going to be bones that are holding up each of the the stories in a sense it's like the, the the conversation between your characters and then then what what kind of um, comes next the interior um, conversation that someone has with themselves um, how uh, and this is going to probably sound like a very um, some simplistic question, but how do you get this dialogue so right when it's your voice as the writer, Deborah, but it's not your voice? Like, how how are you? Is it is it just because you're you're trying to listen so closely? Yeah, uh, it's, or? it's just listening. Um, you know, and once you get somebody's diction, you've got it. Uh, I mean, there's a certain point at which you just can't make a mistake and you can just sort of sit back and let them talk. Of course, you have to get them to talk about the things that you need them to talk about, but uh, but they will. Um, uh, I, I really, I love writing dialogue. I really enjoy, I really enjoy writing dialogue. Uh, 
Do you ever say it out loud, Deborah, as it's going, or is that something, or to get to get wound like back into something that you feel like there might need to be more, or what? No, uh, although you know, I'm such a slow reader. Uh, I'm a very slow reader, and my brother says that he has a little voice that reads to him. Yes, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and I wonder if something of the sort doesn't go on with me uh, and if that isn't if I'm not in fact um, sort of putting on a little show to myself right. like a, a mini play in your the, sil- yes. in the silent mind yes <laughs> um, and, and so what is it when you say like to get them talking to get the characters going and to talk about what you want them to talk about like what how do you do that, then? How do you give them that push? Uh, well, hmm, I really don't know. Impossible I mean, say. I, I mean uh, I'd say that actually what I, what I do know is that, uh, of course, it's very easy to cut. And I, I love cutting also. I, I mean, that's another favorite thing of mine is cutting, just absolutely ruthlessly. And uh, so if they're talking about something that you don't need them to talk about, (laughs) you can just get that right out of there. Trim the fat. Exactly. (laughs) Right. So then they can each be their their best selves in the conversation. Quite right. (laughs) Something I often wish for, Deborah. <laughs> have you ever tra- transcribed? Um, you must have transcribed an interview, and thought, "What are those people talking about?" Right. Only on my uh, my end, with <laughs> with the, the half finished sentences that the 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 writer, as such as yourself, steps into gracefully and and, and finishes <laughs> for me. Um, Oh, but but Deborah, when you're so when you're building the character, is it their voices that are coming to you first? Like it's, uh, or is it like an an image of these characters? How is it starting? I guess it pretty much usually comes together. You know, if you've got the wrong, if it, it sometimes, you know, you just can't get one part or another because you're just you've gotten something fundamentally wrong and so i mean you can't just sort of stick a face on on uh somebody's dialogue it it, you know you pretty much need things to um uh be presented intact in a way just kind of brush away the sand. Really, you know, it's a little like being an archaeologist also, I suppose, to go back to those images we were talking about at the beginning. Uh, you know, I'm now thinking of somebody kneeling uh, over a little stone shard with a brush and just trying to figure out what on earth it is. And, and that's you with your, your character. Yeah. You know, what is this thing? Did you use it to cook with, or did they use it to, uh, was it a weapon, or is this a 
message or, you know, what is it? And it, and, it, and how is it that it, then you're also able to keep the things, because it's not just one thing, too. Right, 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 right. Uh, I don't know. It, it really is very mysterious. Um, uh, it, it's very, very mysterious. And I love that. And I think that's, that's where we'll end, Deborah. Great. <laughs> Thank you, T. Thank you so much for being on the program today. And, and uh, it's, just, it's just been a, a joy to, to have this conversation with you. Likewise. Likewise. I hope we'll... Well, stay, Deborah, stay on the line, and, and we'll, you can hear a little Johnny Cash as we, we go out, and, and, and I'll, I'll say goodbye off the air. Um, so Great. Uh, um, thanks again for, for listening, Ann Arbor. Thanks very much to Deborah Eisenberg for, for being here via phone from Manhattan. Um, you can go out and get the collected stories of Deborah Eisenberg out with Picador this month, um, hot off the presses. Um, it's a big book, um, so, so bring your, your brain and your muscles. Um, I'm T. Hetzel. Until next time. Four strong winds that blow lonely Seven seas that run high All these things that won't change Come what may Well, our good times are all gone And I'm bound for moving on I'll look for you if I'm ever back this way Think I'll go out to Alberta Weather's good there The Daily Sports Report. Michigan with the ball at the Michigan State 21-yard line. Three wide receivers, two far, one near. Henny under center. He'll drop back to pass. Looks for Edwards in the end zone. Jump ball. And it is caught by Braylon Edwards. Braylon Edwards in the back of the end zone. Gets the touchdown for the Wolverines. And the comeback is almost complete. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Daily Sports Report on this Wednesday, April 7th. We have Steve and Adam in studio ready to talk some Michigan and national sports. So, Steve, want to get started with some Michigan revolving the uh, baseball game going on this afternoon. Yeah, as you mentioned, uh, Michigan is in a baseball game as we speak, taking on the Chippewas from Central Michigan. Uh, the score of that game is 11-5 to right now in the bottom of the seventh, the Wolverines... Uh, Got ahead early with three runs, or six runs, excuse me, in the third inning, and they've had a comfortable lead 
throughout. Um, Ryan Lamar made the start for the Wolverines in left field, uh, his first after after being injured for a while. So definitely good to have him back. Uh, the team's record is 15 and 10 on the year, and they've got three uh, all at Ray Fisher Stadium against Purdue this weekend. Um, Furthermore, the uh, softball team, we've got uh, ranked number two in the country, and their doubleheader was postponed today uh, against Indiana, but they'll try tomorrow. Yeah, no surprise there with the weather we're having today. Yeah, yeah, actually, the uh, the baseball game was moved up due to the weather, and 